armor systems, ammunition, and our weapons are flowing into Ukraine as I speak. And today, I'm announcing the United States is prepared to commit more than $1 billion in humanitarian assistance to help get relief to millions of Ukrainians affected by the war in Ukraine. You're listening to the news on RTHK. and welcome to Back Chat. I am Andrew Work. Today is the one and only Friday, the March 25th of 2022. Today we are talking about the brain drain situation in Hong Kong as the city sees an exodus of expatriates and talented locals. The Hong Kong General Chamber of Commerce warns that the city is facing an exodus of skilled professionals on a scale not seen since the early 1990s. According to its survey involving 220 firms, nearly four out of 10 companies said a recent wave of immigration had a negative impact on their operations. Most of those who left are engineers, accountants, doctors and nurses, and IT workers. Top factors they cited are for better development for their children and political considerations. The technology sector may be one of the worst affected industries, with another survey showing that some companies had lost hundreds of thousands and some tens of millions of Hong Kong dollars since the COVID crisis started. Is this going to damage Hong Kong's business environment and our economy? Can we reverse the on-growing brain drain? You have questions, you have opinions, let's have them. Leave us a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 2336-8266. we got two great guests who are joining us today to answer these questions about the brain drain. First, I'd like to introduce Edmund Lee, who is the chairman of the Hong Kong Technology Incubation Network. Good morning, Edmund. Good morning, Andrew. Good morning. I'd also like to welcome Brian Wong, who is the founding editor-in-chief of the Oxford Political uh, Review. He's a Rhodes Scholar, and locally, he was the head boy at Island School while my daughter was still a student there. Brian Wong, my daughter remembers you. Good morning, and welcome to Back Chat. Uh, thank you very much, although I was not the head boy. Just to oh, you weren't the head boy. She thought you were the head boy. <laughs> I was not. I was not. It's, it's a very... Uh... It's a complete misunderstanding. Oh. Thank you very much for that. Uh, All right. <laughs> I mean, road scholar is fine, but head boy would have been really impressive. But I mean, we'll take you as you are, Brian Wong. Now, you recently had a piece in the South China Morning Post about the situation in Hong Kong. Uh, can you give us an outline? First of all, is the brain drain happening? Is it for real? Yep, so, so thank you for that. I think what I would note here is it's certainly for real, both on a quantitative level, if you look at numbers of folks uh, departing the city, uh, as well as anecdotally, many of, I'm sure, your friends, my friends, folks around us, uh, have been mentioning or talking about the ideas of, of, of leaving the city for alternatives in Asia, or indeed uh, heading over to Europe, to Australia and elsewhere. So what I would say, though, of course, is all of this must be caveated with with a dose of healthier cynicism and scepticism in two senses. Firstly, folks might come back in the future. And secondly, got to put things in perspective. Yes, indeed, people are leaving Hong Kong. Yes, indeed, there's an outward flow of, of, of on net. But, but ultimately, it's not a substantial exodus. It's not a case that 10%, 20% or 30% of Hong Kong is leaving. So yes, there's, there's departures, but I wouldn't call it necessarily you know, a huge brain drain. That does not mean, however, that we wouldn't care about those who are indeed leaving or 
have, you know, been brewing over and pouring over the thoughts of leaving the city for good because these are folks that could well be contributing towards Hong Kong or could indeed call this place their home. But unfortunately, due to constraints or push factors, have to leave the city. And I find that lamentable. So that's what I'd say. I mean, the concern is that it's happening across a wide range of sectors. Edmund Lee, uh, your organization has done a survey of tech workers in the city, and what did you find in that survey? Um, firstly, I think the Springsteen problem is um, um, due to different, you know, um, um, causes. Uh, one thing is uh, because of the startup uh, boom in recent years. Actually, we are in high demand of IT workers and IT talent. And a lot of corporations are setting up their own innovation departments. So, so at the same time, uh, the computer science programs and other, you know, uh, talent programs are not increasing their quotas. And that's why we are in need of, you know, uh, uh, different talents while we cannot find uh, enough of them. Um, another reason is, as uh, as Brian said, uh, people are leaving the, the city because of uh, different opportunities um, in maybe in Southeast Asia or maybe, you know, maybe in Canada, Australia, UK. And I, I've heard that they, these countries are setting up different programs to attract these talents to um, migrate to the countries. Maybe, um, for example, uh, for Canada, they have a program that's uh, for people, you know, under 25 of age and um, maybe, maybe um, uh, five years. Uh, within five years uh, after they graduate, they can uh, apply for a permanent residence um, uh, for for Canada, and that's very attractive, especially for um, our young people who have not uh, had the opportunity to go abroad and work abroad, and that's um, quite attractive for them. And um, because of this, and um, as we can see, because uh, we have had a terrorist vote last, last week, and we, we compare with the, the application that we have received in, in the past year, we are experiencing like, uh, like 60% drop in applications. And that, that's partly because of the drop in the number of candidates. And another reason is that we have a large increase in you know, startups and companies uh, trying to acquire these talents. So we, we're seeing a, a huge gap uh, between you know, the need and, uh, and, and the supply. Right, so you're talking about this this drop in applications, and that that's not a clear sign of people leaving, but it does indicate that something has gone wrong. If people are leaving, they're not being replaced. And I mean, how much of this is Hong Kong artificially putting barriers up to people coming into the city? And when those barriers disappear, Will people start to come back and things will go back to normal? I mean, Brian, you're, I think, in the UK. Are people over there talking about coming back to Hong Kong once it's easier to come back into the city? Yeah, well, firstly, I think what I would say is there, there are obviously a basket of factors as to why folks are wary or reluctant to, to come to Hong Kong. The travel restrictions are certainly amongst them, but I would also say that upon lifting of them, you know, whilst there would certainly be a restoration of short-term to medium sort of uh, stay and travel 
I guess, uh, willingness, okay, and, and, and undertaking of those trips for business reasons, leisure reasons, tourism reasons. The, the ultimate question is, and the litmus test is, will people want to come to settle in Hong Kong and to work in this city? And don't get me wrong, I think Hong Kong still has a lot to give. We've got the structural advantages of being a Chinese city that is truly cosmopolitan, of having a financial infrastructure that's broadly intact, of having a rule of law and all of these virtues I'm sure many others have touted and floated and still are talking about today. But fundamentally, you know, do I think, as it stands right now, Hong Kong is able to rope in and attract loads of brilliant talents from around the world to stay here, to work here, to live here. Uh, I am, I've got to say, I'm not so sure. And in order for this problem to be ameliorated, what we really need to see here is a new, is a new cell, is a new spark in the city, whether it be in our cultural developments, in our exuberance as a, a hub of innovation and technology in Asia, as a source of hope and a, a way of connecting the world with the rest of the country, uh, the rest of China. I think we need to regain that spark and regain that ultimate attractiveness in order to sell our city and to restore our former glow. So, yes, the lifting of restrictions would help, and I think there would certainly be an increase, a rather significant increase, too, in terms of inflow, simply given the backlog of people that have yet to manage to, to come to Hong Kong, given the very stringent quarantine requirements. But ultimately, how many of them will be here to to live here, to settle here, and choose Hong Kong over our rivals in the region. We've got to wait and see, but more needs to be done if we genuinely want to stand a good chance in that competitive sort of vying for talent game that we have to play. Um, yeah. yeah, and I mean, but uh, so there's there's kind of different levels here. We're talking, there's there's the, say, 30 to 40, very young, mobile, maybe they're married, maybe they're not with kids. There's the older expats. And then, of course, you've got young people like yourself who maybe graduated a couple of years ago, uh, like my daughter. And are they going to come back? Uh, let's start with the youngest cohort. Are they going to want to come back? They've been educated here, maybe went to some of the best high schools on the planet. But are they going to come back after they finish university abroad? What are, what that's are your a great question. Saying? Yeah. Um, that's a great question. What I would say is this. You know, I personally think that uh, many of those who were born and raised here will come back because Hong Kong's a home. Hong Kong's a home for many who feel, who, who love, who cherish, you know, not just our culture, not just our the, the so-called hardware, the lush mountains and the Victoria Harbour, the food and all that, but also because this is a city where we've got family and friends, where we've made, you know, we, we, we found ourselves and came to know who we truly are. And I, for one, will certainly come back to Hong Kong. I'm not, you know, you know uh, relent and say, ah, yes, I'm going to leave the city. That, that's not my plan. So from, from the point of view of those who are young and were born and raised here, I'd say the sense of belonging is too strong for departure to be genuinely on their minds. But as for attracting youth from, you know, countries, uh, youth have never been in Hong Kong or lived in Hong Kong before, expats, uh, migrant workers, great question. Uh, more quantitative studies must be undertaken to evaluate their their um, tendencies and resolve to, to stay here. But what I, I would note, though, is, you know, for many who are in the 20s and 30s, Hong Kong still remains a very attractive, you know, destination 
for it, right? Whether it be in a financial, legal, professional services sectors, or alternatively, as a site of education and language instruction and teaching, Hong Kong's great. And none of this has been eroded, right, despite, I suppose, a turmoil and upheaval at large. But as for the elder or the older generations, whether it be sort of 30s, 40s folks that have families, have children, or indeed prospective uh, middle-aged, uh, mid-career folks are contemplating a move to Asia, I think you're right to question uh, the appeal of Hong Kong for those generations, for those cohorts, simply because uh, a lot of the, the ostensible benefits that Hong Kong could offer them are non-unique, and they could be found elsewhere, especially if they don't have particularly strong personal tethering or connections to uh, Hong Kong's culture and our unique sites and offerings at large. So, so I think you'd like to disaggregate the question into different cohorts. As for the elderly, uh, Hong Kong's not a great place to retire that, unfortunately. We don't necessarily have uh, a particularly well-catered and elderly-friendly, I think, um, uh, housing or, or welfare provision regime. And that's not to say that we're not a great city in terms of hardware and infrastructure. It's just to say that in terms of elderly health care and how we take care of our elderly, clearly there's more that needs to be done. Yeah. Just look at a crisis over the past few months. Sure, but I mean, if you, if, you, if you own your own flat, there's free health care and cheap domestic help. I mean, for the elderly, which is pretty attractive. Um, but I mean, if we're talking about building an economic base in Hong Kong, Edmund, uh, technology is a big part of that. And I, you know, how are we going to attract, in particular, young people uh, who have the latest skills in tech when we're competing with Silicon Valley, Toronto, Vancouver, London? I mean, the really big tech centers. Are we going to be able to bring those people in either because they went to high school here and university abroad or just, you know, first time coming to Hong Kong to support our technology sector? Well, actually, I, I agree with Brian. Um, you think the area would help, but I I think we're talking about, you know, we have some Shenzhen next to us, we have Singapore, right? So so I think I think a fundamental problem is that we need to maintain attractiveness of the city. Um, why why would they move here, right? They we've got to have a reason to come to Hong Kong. Why not Singapore? Why not Shenzhen, right? So so um, I think um, the university plays a big part in, you know, attracting those talents because we have uh, different master programs uh, offering for um, mainland students, uh, I mean, uh, bachelor's uh, graduate coming to you know, studying their master's degree. And after that, they, they uh, have one year, you know, um, option to stay here for to work, for work uh, in Hong Kong. I think that's that's one of the major supply of these uh, talents because it's, 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 you know, just, just considering for a job opportunity, I think, um, you know, Shenzhen would offer better uh, compensation, and Singapore uh, would offer a different culture. So, so I think um, we have to go back to, uh, as Brian said, you know, the rule of law, you know, mutual respect, and and the quality of living, and, and then we will come to the compensation because uh, you know money can solve everything, right? So that's um, uh, one one thing I want to. Um, I hope the government uh, would consider is to um, treasure our own talents uh, before they, they move abroad. But uh, if, if I think uh, we have not reached a peak yet because uh, a lot of our you know, friends of our staff uh, have, 
efforts and their plans that they are planning to leave maybe in a couple of months. They have their plans, own plans. Like they would work at startup for you know uh, for a couple of months and then they sure. move into a corporation for another couple of months. Then they will move to yeah. uh, maybe Canada and and UK. So yeah. we're not we're not there yet. So so we 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 have tough times um, ahead. Sure. Are, are tech, actual technology workers, like people who actually know how to work with technology, is, is that even a factor in Hong Kong? I mean, even pre-COVID, I worked in blockchain and crypto and fintech, and you had the entrepreneurs in Hong Kong. They founded the businesses here, but they would usually have somebody who was in charge of tech who might have been here, might have not. But the entire tech teams were in Vietnam, the Ukraine. Uh, I mean, you know, they were everywhere but Hong Kong. Are technology workers the people that we need to attract back to Hong Kong once we start dropping restrictions, or is it really just technology entrepreneurs who set the business up, well, I, but I, really the I, tech team somewhere else? I mean, is, it, is that a lost cause? A key for, for our business. We, we have a lot of entrepreneurs in Hong Kong. Even, you know, uh, people not working in the IT industry can come into the IT industry and start their own business, but they can't do it without their CEO and programmer. So, um, but in Hong Kong, you know, uh, for example, for AI, we are starting to have our own AI uh, program maybe like a year ago. So we still need to wait for another three years for the, the first batch of AI people coming out from the university. So definitely we are looking for talents uh, around the world. And hopefully, um, for example, we, we're, we, we are now talking about the talents in UK, Russia, and uh, which the, the more into uh, looking for um, opportunities uh, outside of their country. And um, in, in the past year, we're, we're looking for talents from, you know, from Europe. So, so we are always trying to attract talent uh, coming to Hong Kong. But right now, we, because we have the restrictions, you know, and COVID, and they, they, they tend to, you know, um, spend more time to observe before they make a decision. So hopefully, we will have the restrictions Sure. I mean, technology is one sector. Brian Wong, what are the other sectors that we need to really look to? I know you're, you're keen uh, from your article. I got that you were keen on culture and arts. Uh, is that important? And how do we bring those people back to Hong Kong? Yeah, great. So, so I think certainly, you know, culture and art is a potential sector or, or that, that Hong Kong could, you know, and have always had quite quite fourteen comparative advantages. We're a city where different cultures and languages meet. We've also got a fantastic uh, set of hardware ranging from M Plus to the soon-to-be-open Palace Museum. These are all strengths that can be capitalised upon. But you're absolutely right to say that we can't have you know, a flourishing scene in arts and culture unless we can lure artists in and uh, attract folks to stay in this and, and also cultivate homegrown talent. And trust me, there are loads of homegrown talents, there are loads of local Hong Kong artists that churn out amazing, amazing work. And yet, from their point of view, I think what's missing right now is an ecosystem that recognises and respects the efforts. An ecosystem where their work can be platformed and sold and truly treated with the amount of attention they deserve, right? And at at many times, uh, many of my friends in the arts and culture scene, they complain not because they feel that there's no funding in the scene, but because they fear that there's no overarching 
policy. There's no overarching cultural policy. Rather, culture is seen as a commodity, as an industry, as an economic pillar, and that's it. But there's so much more to art than just that. So I think what we need in order to, to regain the hearts and minds of folks, is not just opportunities or prospects, but a fundamental paradigm shift in how we narrate and imagine art, in recognizing art for its being the soul, its being the ethos of this very city. And a corollary of that is that we need vibrancy and pluralism to be enshrined, to be recognized in order for art to, to be cultivated and to be fully you know, d developed into the potential that could become. And, and more generally, just going back to the point concerning technology, I think Hong Kong could very well be a hub for fintech, um, trade finance, legal tech, reg tech, regulatory tech, all of these uh, fantastic tech sectors are nascent and, and growing. But, but the underpinning pillar there is the same. You know, we need to tolerate and embrace ideological diversity and innovation in order for innovation to come to Hong Kong and to settle in the city. So I, I think, you know, the, the, the ethos goes with both sectors or right. both yeah. But Brian, are we falling behind? Because, I mean, the rest of the world is opening up right now. And, you know, if we're talking about a vibrant arts and culture scene in Hong Kong, okay, technology, you can have your, your programmers working at home, you can have your managers working at home. Uh, to a certain extent, you can put people on AB, you know, half the team is in at the office at one time and half the team's in the next day. Fine. But the rest of the world is opened up. In Hong Kong, we can't go to an art gallery. We can't go to the cinema to see a movie, you know, Marvel blockbuster or art house cinema um, are, are artists and cultural creative types that drive that economy. Are they settling in to other parts of the world and saying, not bad. I'll be here for the next five to 10 years. Why would I uproot myself and go to Hong Kong? I mean, are we, are we falling behind the longer we keep our measures in place that kind of shut down the arts and culture sector? Well, look, I hate to channel Powell, but I will just, uh, I guess, uh, paraphrase Powell in saying that I think these pains are transitory, but they are, they're certainly, they're, they're, don't, don't get me wrong, they are, they're terrible, right? The pains of not being able to display or showcase your work in exhibitions, the pains of dealing with the prospects of unemployment and also the lack of subsidies, the pains of, you know, feeling that the, the, the output that you have is not getting the media airtime and breathing room it deserves because of all that's going on. These are pains, but they are transitory in a sense that I think soon, too, it will pass. Now, the, the question of COVID's implications or the pandemic's implications in art is, is one that I think is, is pertinent in the short to medium term, but eventually as Hong Kong adjusts to a new modus operandi, a new way of coexistence, compatibility in accordance with a dynamic zero policy vis-a-vis uh, -vis COVID, uh, you know, given a nomenclature you're here, I shan't go into too much detail, but, but obviously mm. we're going to find a way, and I'm optimistic that we will find a way to, to manage COVID. So, so that's just a to me, a transitory problem. What's more structural, though, is what are the incentive structures for folks to to come to Hong Kong and establish an artistic career here? And for me, I can see Hong Kong's proximity to the mainland and our part or our being a part of China as a core asset, because ultimately that grants us and grants artists not just access to the Chinese space uh, market and, and artistic influences, but also the possibility of being recognized in a 1.4 billion uh, strong country. And that's, that's brilliant. That's amazing. But how can we capitalize upon these strengths 
and indeed reassure folks who want to come here that these are opportunities they can access. Anyone can access. Well, that, that takes more explanatory work and also active outreach efforts than I suppose we currently see. And that's not to say there isn't enough work being done, but it is to say that could be done better, I suppose. Mm, okay. And Edmund, you know, I know people leading technology companies that have got gone to Phuket to try and ride it. You know, they said we've had enough with the COVID restrictions in Hong Kong. They put their kids in the school there and they're like, oh, yeah, we're going to come back to Hong Kong. But after a few months, they're like, Turns out I don't have to. I can run my tech company from Phuket. Maybe I'll settle in here or Singapore or other places. You know, April 21st, some of the restrictions are going to lift. But do you think the technology entrepreneurs are going to come back? Is that indicated in your survey or with your experience talking to technology people? Well, um, definitely. I think um, they, they will come to Hong Kong when, whenever you know, there are opportunities right now. Actually, it's heartbreaking, you know, seeing people living in the country, uh, living in the city because of, you know, um, things that they're not comfortable with, uh, especially for people, you know, expect for to have been here for like 20, 30 years. So I think uh, one thing is that they, 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 they miss their home. They have to go home to, uh, you know, visit their parents or families, and maybe they were in emergency situations and they need to go back. But um, at the same time, we need to, to plan ahead and uh, how we can attract those people or new, new uh, talents coming back to Hong Kong uh, after COVID. And we're a little bit of falling behind, but we're, we're not in a very bad situation right now yet. But uh, we're trying to, to uh, pick up you know, uh, from this point on. So... Um, I think when there is opportunity, so uh, they will come back. So, so I think that's not a, a, a whole lot of problem uh, yeah. right now. Do we need but, special? Uh, do we need special measures to bring them back, or can we just rely on the good old Hong Kong fundamentals of low taxes, easy to set up a business, yeah. people that's, are here to make things happen, uh, or do we have to do uh, something special? Why? Why were they here before? Yeah, I mean, why, why were they here? Why, why did they move here? Because they, they like the environment of the city, because they like the rule of law, they like you know mutual respect, they love the cultural diversity. But this, so we we really need to restore in the beauty of this city after COVID in order to attract these people coming back to Hong Kong. Yeah. Okay. So I'm pretty uh, optimistic. All right, Edmund, you're you're based here in Hong Kong. Brian Wong, you are abroad right now. Uh, like I said, pretty impressive guy with a Rhodes Scholarship under his belt. Uh, not head boy at Island School, but I guess still Rhodes Scholar. We'll give you that. Um, founding Editor-in-Chief of the Oxford Political Review. Are you going to come back to Hong Kong? Uh, well, uh, so, so first, just let me clarify, I'm actually currently stuck in Hong Kong as a result of... Oh, I am in Hong Kong, yes. Okay. I am indeed in Hong Kong. <laughs> and secondly, just to answer your question, absolutely. You're Hong sticking Kong around. Whole, Hong Kong's, you know, our place, our city, you know, and, and, and the place that we are very proud to call and to tell others that we're from. So in all honesty, right, of course, I'll stay. And I think staying and building the city and reforming the city for the better to tackle many of the pressing challenges that the city is confronted with, with optimism, with cautious optimism, but optimism nevertheless, 
as opposed to resigning to fatalism and destructive annihilationism. I think that's ultimately the can-do spirit that we can do with. And, and it's easy to think that we should give up or easy to say, oh, there are all sorts of impediments and barriers. But fundamentally, right, change doesn't come unless we start thinking it can come and making ourselves and seeing ourselves as a part of that change process. So obviously I'll come back. Um, I would not hesitate to answer in, in an affirmative manner to your question there. <laughs> All right. Well, Brian Wong, the founding editor-in-chief of the Oxford Political Review, is sticking around. Edmund Lee, chairman of the Hong Kong Technology Incubation Network, is staying in Hong Kong. And I'm Andrew Work, and so am I. I'd like to thank you, all of our listeners, uh, and I'd like to have a big thank you to our producers, uh, Yuki and Christy, and my number one sound master, Mr. Ming. Uh, make sure you tune in Monday for more COVID and back chat with Jim Gould and Mike Rouse and more hot, hot guests. I'm going to give you guys the weather. It is today going to be cloudy with occasional showers and the romantic coastal mist. Some isolated thunder showers in the morning and showers easing off gradually in the afternoon. Maximum temperature 23 degrees. Looking at the weekend, warm and humid tomorrow. And then cool with occasional thundery showers early next week. This is Back Chat, and I'm Andrew Work. The temperature now is 20 degrees Celsius, 96% humidity. The elderly are at high risk of life-threatening conditions from COVID-19. The virus can damage one's heart, lungs, and brain. It may cause multiple organ failure that requires intubation in an ICU. After effects can hamper a recovery. Vaccines reduce risks of serious illness, hospitalization, and death. Experts advise that any elderly person who has had a flu shot can safely receive COVID-19 vaccines. Get vaccinated early. The time is 9.32 on RTHK3, and now the news with Andrew Chorofsky. Thank you, Andrew. Labor Secretary Law Chi Kuang says he expects the SAR's unemployment situation to begin to ease after next month. Joblessness for the three months to the end of February reached 4.5% as the fifth wave of the COVID pandemic took hold. Almost a quarter of a million aspiring homeowners have applied to buy heavily subsidized homes ahead of yesterday's deadline. They're expected to go into a draw for the right to buy flats under the home ownership scheme at prices of between one and a quarter million and $5.3 million. And overseas, President Biden has said NATO has never been more united than it is today, and that Vladimir Putin is getting the opposite of what he intended when Russia attacked Ukraine. Mr. Biden was speaking after an emergency NATO summit in Brussels. I'll have more on these and other stories at 10 o'clock. Stand by for the brew. Uh, sociology prof from the University of Set and Costume Designer, great interpreter of Beethoven, as well as oh shy, quiet, and retiring doggy council co founder of Rockefeller Records. Hello. This is really for adults, it's not really for kids. Yeah, well, it's fun, you know. Decide what's happening behind the lift. Good morning. Inter interviews and also observations. Absolutely no way. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. G'day, hi, welcome to Friday here on The Morning Brew, which is bands, sports and marshy day, yeah. Mark Rawson's going to bring you more great made-in-Hong-Kong music from some top local bands and artists at 10.10 this morning. After 11, it's sports and all with Danny Hicks.
World Cup qualifying footy, F1, all sorts of spins going on there. James Marsh will be back with his streaming yes and nas of the week. That's after 12. Do join Danny and James on Facebook Live with your questions, fierce argument, and of course, your special Facebook opinion. Vampire weekend to get us going this morning, and unbelievers. 25 minutes to 10 o'clock for a Friday morning. Got some passion pit on the way after this. Got a little song. 